This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. There was a big meeting on Friday with the mayor of the city, Olivia Chow, and the country's finance minister, in Christian Freeland. She's a local Toronto MP, so Toronto should matter to her. And the concept of the meeting was, let's get together and have conversations about a new deal for the city of Toronto. Maybe there's some way to, to do something more in the long term, but maybe it's just, <laughs> we're broke, give us money. Maybe it's just that. And we know so little about what transpired here. And I think the big question that we'd all have, and we didn't get a lot of answers to it on Friday, the, the story just sort of stopped. Like a couple weeks ago, Doug Ford met with Olivia Chow, and that was a big deal. First meeting since uh, Chow had been elected mayor. And they had a news conference afterwards, and it was very conciliatory, right? It felt like there was a, there was a lighter mood in, in a tense time when the city is telling the province, step up your game and pay for stuff that matters to you, your province's biggest city. And at least we had a sense that there was going to be, by the way, a committee formed between... Um, the city was going to have representatives. The province was going to have representatives. They were going to meet in the weeks to come. And they would then regather in late November and come up with a plan and a solution. And we heard none of that on Friday. This story just died. And that happens sometimes Friday afternoon. A Friday afternoon news dump is how it's known. Something gets dropped around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Boom, you can barely remember. It's our job to remember it by Monday, but... I get why you can, and uh, and it slips through the cracks sometimes. But we've looked everywhere, and we can't find sort of a a recap, a post meeting analysis of what was said. And remember this quote on July twenty fourth at the end of the day. Uh, the Christian Freeland met with Olivia Chow then, when Olivia Chow was seeking money about about asylum seekers. And on July twenty fourth, Freeland's quote. And this, she sent this in a letter to Olivia Chow and Freeland's quote, as of September 30th, 2022, so about a year ago, Toronto's total reserves and reserve funds held a balance of $11.2 billion, up 25% from 2021, Freeland writes. We estimate that within these reserves, at least $1.6 billion is available in uncommitted stabilization funds. Freeland's telling the city the money's there. You just have to go into the emergency funds and use them. Now, there's many people within the city itself that I spoke to uh, when that quote first happened in late July. And they said, yes, and no, there's complexities with taking it out. But I've told you for long enough that the city is very concerned and they won't get in front of a microphone, and say this publicly. The federal government's turning the taps off and saying, you need to look inside your own house first. You need to do the work and the digging and assess where the redundancies are. And the city just seems to refuse to do it. And as a result, the federal government is not this. And by the way, this info, if you will, I wouldn't call it intel. This info goes back to John Tory being mayor. This goes back to these are conversations I was hearing about in late December 22 or January of this year prior to the Tory, you know, controversy, scandal, resignation, what have you is that the federal government says to the city, look inside your own house, show us the receipts of what you found and what you didn't, and then we can give you checks. 
and then we know. But it's not going to work. They open up a huge can of worms if Toronto gets blank checks because Ottawa's got a lot of the same problems. Hamilton certainly has got a lot of the same problems. London, Windsor, you name it, Kitchener. And some of that's about homeless people. Some of that's some of that's about um, open drug use. Some of that's about migration. Some of that's about just not having proper housing, to to and or or people to help or facilities to help with mental health. It all factors in. So we know so little about this, and that's a problem. Seven thirty this morning. Ben Mulroney will be joined by Warren Kinsella, and we'll go through all the big issues of the day. But Ben's up early and joins us now. It's great to have you on. Good morning. I hope you had a brilliant weekend. How do you focus on anything when it's twenty six degrees out in October? By the way, I know, I know, Greg. <laughs> what a great way to to kick off October, wasn't it? But you know, um, so you were just talking about Olivia Chow versus the federal government, and look, it would be a lot easier to side with this government if they hadn't been living out their childhood dream of being Oprah Winfrey for so long and just giving out free money to like, I, it, it was, you know, you get some, you get a check, you get a check, you get a check. And then all of a sudden today um, they're pleading poverty. It's it. If I were Olivia Chow, who sort of just fell into this role, I would say, well, hold on a second. Um, you know, this is uh, during the pandemic, we spent, I think more money per capita than any other uh, um, government, the G7. And, um, and our hospitals haven't been fixed. We didn't solve the homelessness crisis. We didn't fix infrastructure. Nothing really got done with that money. So if, if I'm her saying, well, listen, uh, sure, I'll go into my books and I'll check for some redundancies, but I'm kind of expecting the same thing from the people writing the checks. Like you guys have not exactly been the best stewards of capital. And uh, and so, you know, this is a problem of our own, of all of our makings. And therefore we all have a stake in fixing it, which means you got to pony up some cash. Ben, I hate to use the, the college student analogy, but we all have been there where we've, we've made one too many calls back to mom and dad, to the bank of mom and dad, and said, and they'll say, are you working part-time right now? Are you looking to work part-time? Yeah. Are you balancing the budget properly? Are you driving and going on? You went to Cancun three weeks yeah. ago. What do you mean you can't pay the phone bill, right? Like These are the conversations <laughs> that cities have now with governments. Yeah, no, it's uh, and, and, and like I said, if, if, if they haven't walked the walk at all, and all of a sudden now they're deciding, okay, now... Now we we're, we're, we're pleading poverty. Well, what, what a what a what a what a terrible time to do that when this city, this which is the capital of the economic driver mm. of the country, you know what what happens in Toronto has effects far beyond the Golden Horseshoe. Um, there is a there. This is a city on the decline in a lot of ways by a lot of metrics, and mm. that's a not a, that's not a good look. And the, the the feds should feel a stake in helping this city get through this crisis. I know there's a lot of liberal MPs. You know your federal politics game well, and I know there's a lot of liberal MPs who aren't in the even the power position that Christian Freeland is in as the finance minister who are looking around and they're hearing from their constituents and the constituents are saying, I voted for you. I voted for you two times, three times as, as part of this liberal government. Why won't you help us? So they're feeling that tight squeeze with an election, not on the horizon, but in the next 12, 18 months potentially. Well, and and in that case, I, I think the long the longer this draws out, the worse it is for the feds. Uh, again, I listen. I I'm I I don't um, I don't see eye to eye necessarily ideologically with Olivia Chow, but I don't think a person who's been in a job for about what three months now mm -hmm. holds a lot of responsibility in terms of where the the city's at right now. So she's the only one with clean hands here. And if she's asking for if she's asking for money, you 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 know you, you know what her priorities are. She wants to help the uh, the homeless crisis. She wants to help um, with uh, with um, uh, refugees and, and new Canadians who were told come to Canada. Uh, only problem is yeah. we don't have a place for you to live. 
Um, so so she, you, you know that those are her, her priorities. And so um, I just think uh, that, that, that at this point, um, the government should do more than say, uh, check your books to make sure that you're not uh, wasting any money, because this is not a government that should be preaching about other constituencies about wasting money. I've got about a minute and a half here, but let me ask you about this. Uh, you're no stranger to, uh, you know, the celebrity scene, the glaring white hot spotlight. I've never in 2023, when there's famous people, Ben, that our, our kids are going to know about that will never understand why they're famous or what they do or anything. The Taylor Swift thing dating Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey. I, I guess I didn't think we could see something so massive in the Internet era. You've been to royal weddings. You've interviewed everybody. What have you thought? What have you made of this sensation the last two weeks? I have loved that my wife and I have had something we can talk about. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I saw this trend on on social media of uh, w- women in relationships uh, saying, this is how you drive your your boyfriend or your significant other crazy. You talk about how this guy was a nobody before he went to, I mean, Taylor <laughs> Swift to start dating this guy. Do you know who this guy is? I mean, and listen, she's going to really help his career take off. I mean, thanks to her, he's really going to go places. Um, look, he's never shied away from the spotlight. Uh, he's always been really good in the spotlight. They, uh, as a matter of fact, there's um, he had a very little scene um, uh, uh, um bachelor style show on the e-network that nobody watched and they put it back on the network <laughs> now <laughs> it's from years ago but his brother listen there's if you if you are interested in this uh in him and his life and his brother then um mm. i recommend there's a show on amazon plus amazon prime called kelsey and it follows jason in his final year in the um in the NFL, and he happens to make it into the Super Bowl, and he happens to play his brother. Yeah, and the cameras catch the cameras catch it all. If you want to know what I think makes that family special, watch that show. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto. Green Day. Uh, you're hearing Green Day on the way in um, from their American Idiot album, a song called Holiday. And yesterday, they got announced as the Grey Cup halftime show, and the Grey Cup's in Hamilton this year in late November. But I love two things about this. First of all, there's the headline in the Hamilton Spectator. Get ready, millennials. Green Day is playing the Grey Cup halftime show. And I just thought about that, Sheba, and I had to look it up. And a millennial is somebody born between 81 and 96. <laughs> okay. So Green Day's big moment was 94 with the album Dookie, like Longview, When I Come Around, all these Welcome to Paradise, all these huge songs around that album. And I'm like, yeah, I guess if you were, um, you know, two you were a big Green Day. Uh, that's impossible. No, They're not a millennial. Like, we wouldn't call Hootie and the Blowfish or Dave Matthews Band. Some of these mid-90s bands aren't for millennials. No, but they're coming back. All of these old bands, if you notice in the 80s and the 90s, the, that's what the kids are listening to a lot these days. I don't, yeah. I don't know what that says about the current state of music, but that's what they're listening to. So I don't know that they're a millennial band, but I also know that people bristle sometimes when the uh, Grey Cup halftime show is a non-Canadian act. And we were siphoning through the list of halftime shows. And you spotted several non-Canadian acts that are huge A-list names that the Grey Cup has found a way to get here. Okay, one of them being the Black Eyed Peas. I knew that they weren't. Yeah, I'm surprised that they did Grey Cup. But here's what shocks me. Lenny Kravitz did the Grey Cup in 2007. Here at Rogers Center. Yes, I'm shocked. (laughs) Well, I mean, if the, if the money's green, then, you I know, when you get paid in cash. must have been tough. But I don't think that's tough. Isn't that good to play, like, oh. <laughs> 8 million people, 9 million people in the country watch the Grey Cup? You get a free concert. Like, you know, in the Super Bowl, I think we talked about this with Rihanna when she did it last year, Super Bowl acts don't get paid. 
they just know the publicity is amazing. And then usually they, and it was tougher for, for Rihanna because she was pregnant. So she, she wasn't, couldn't do much. She wasn't announcing a big tour, but almost universally, Madonna will announce a tour or Bruce Springsteen will announce a tour. If you play Super Bowl halftime, you want the publicity. You'll do that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, almost excl- imagine dragons. There they are in BC in 2014. Headley? They're not you, Canadian. Do you remember Headley? Oh, gosh. <laughs> they were 2013. Yeah, times have changed yes. since then. Very and I can't, so. One Republic is not a Canadian band. So it does happen. And Keith Urban, yeah. right, took uh, took the, uh, you know, one of the great actresses of our time, as you know, and uh, Nicole Kidman, I probably the greatest. The greatest. Sure Muriel Streep or whatever her name is, forget it. It's Nicole Kidman. I know someone who looks vaguely like the woman in Days of Thunder. I barely <laughs> recognize her now, but if that's who you're referring I to. I love that strawberry curly hair. That's a great uh, run for Nicole Kidman. Anyway, you were there, weren't you? I No, my wife was actually at that great cup from the Globe and Mail, but I, I didn't go out to Calgary. Keith Urban brought Nicole Kidman out and she's probably like, oh, maybe I'll shoot a movie in Calgary. Bottom lining it, many non-Canadian acts have played the uh, Great Cup halftime. And the sponsor is Twisted Tea. So what's better than, you know, millennials, pop your can of Twisted Tea. Gord, do you enjoy a good Twisted Tea in the morning? Too much sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, your Labatt 50 does not have that amount of of sugar. But Green Day will play the uh, Great Cup halftime. I, I like that better than the Super Bowl halftime. I'm more interested in Green Day than I am Usher. Really? That's me saying that. Yeah. Oh, for this year or in general? Yeah, just for this year. No. No, I'm not with you on that. Um, we saw this video, and I know it rattled both of us. Uh, CBC had a report on Friday night about uh, what gets described as a brazen um, break-in in Toronto. And when you you hear about a break-in, you're like, ah, your neighbor got broken into or your, your friend got broken into. When you see the video, it's really... It really is rattling, Sheba, in that these are two people dressed as like workers. Broad daylight. Broad daylight, 10.53 in the morning. There's video of them coming down a back alley. This is in a, a Willowdale house. Well, it's the side of the house. It's not a back alley. It's not some sketchy back alley. It's like the beautiful like walkway to the backyard. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. You come through a walk walkway and you come into this beautiful, probably a $3 million house. They pop the glass, and as the story describes, it's basically a tool you can get on Amazon for like 28 bucks. Shatters the glass without you, you know, hacking away at it with an axe or something. And, and this is the glass on like the back patio door. It's like a floor to ceiling panel of glass, a huge piece of glass. Yeah. And they just take it right off with this device. So um, two things about it. One is that the uh, criminals got $20,000 worth of stuff, 20000 worth of, of jewelry, it's almost like they knew what they were looking for. And the biggest thing that came to my mind seeing the clip uh, is police took two days to respond to this. Imagine your house, my house. Again, I can't visualize it. The footage would haunt me for decades to watch people breaking into an empty Brady household and going upstairs, going through my things, going through my wife's things, my kids' rooms and everything. It just, that visceral feeling wouldn't leave me. No. And the idea that if, if this happened today, I wouldn't talk to the police about it, Sheba, until Wednesday. Think about that. Well, here's what I don't understand. So this man who describes how he went to sleep and every time that they, every time they go to sleep, the, the first couple of days when they came back from their trip, any sound that they heard, they thought, oh, they're back. Oh, they're back for more. Or, and there seems to be no link between the robbers and these people, the homeowners. But to me, it's terrifying because this shows me a $28 Amazon device can get anybody into anybody's home. Yeah. Here's Michael Sigmund, who's the homeowner. He talked to uh, CBC for the Friday night uh, news story. Very scary. You know, my, my daughter was very afraid to sleep at night. And 
and still is, you know, and, 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 uh, and uh, you know, we're, none of us slept the first night, you know, at every little sound you're like, oh my God, is, are they coming back? Is there something going on, right? And here's what I'd say. I have older kids than you do. I don't know how I, because my in inclination is if they were eight and six or 10 and eight, I'd lie yeah. to them. I'd lie to them. I'd have to lie to them about what happened. I wouldn't want them thinking that some dude had been in their That's room when they're not there. Lie, it's a hard though, Brady. You get home from a trip and you're freaking out with your wife and your kids are like, what's going on? They're going to piece it together. A deer ran through the glass yeah, and, uh, exactly. and then <laughs> was chasing an antelope and there's other animals that don't even exist here. In Toronto, um, it's really rough to see a Toronto home being broken into and then know that the cops took two days. And I'm not blaming the cops. If they're that backed up with breaking enters and carjackings, that tells you why we've got a problem. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Let me ask you a question. What is middle income in the GTA? What is middle income? Olivia Chow did a commercial and it was on this radio station when she ran for mayor and she said Toronto just isn't affordable anymore. And I understand things will get said in the midst of a campaign. She's not wrong about that particular sentence, clearly. But when was it more affordable? It's jarring numbers uh, in the Toronto Star article um, about how expensive Toronto housing has become. Manuela Vega put this together in the Star, and there's a graphic that shows just the notable difference. It's rather remarkable. Average income has increased, but median wages are stagnant. And if that gets a little bit into the economic weeds, let me give you this. In 1990, the median income for an individual, 25 to 54 in Toronto, $54,310 when you adjust to 2023 inflation. And so 33 years later, it hasn't increased by even 1%. It's now 54,643. 54,310 in 1990, 54,643 in, and that's for the 2021 census. So I ask you this, what makes middle income in Toronto? Off the top of my head, what's the household gross income? If you're doing okay and you'd call yourself middle income, you don't have to tell me your salary. You don't have to tell me your wife or husband's salary. Just give me a number. How much do you need to make to make Toronto work or the GTA work? There's so much debate about, you know, you heard earlier today, minimum wage goes up to $16.55. It went up yesterday, October 1st, from $15.50. And I think that's great if you've got a university student there. That's great if you are in high school and you're living at home, but what makes middle income in Toronto? Remember, there's no uh, magic bullet for this solution either, and the story in the star certainly lays that out. It certainly documents that. Minimum wage has nothing to do with whether you can afford to buy a home or not, and none of this would be quite as relevant because income has stayed the same based on inflation, but what's doubled since 2010? You got it. Real estate prices. Real estate prices. Check this out. Run with it today. In 1990, the average GTA home, $255,020. That's the equivalent of what today would be $514 with inflation. But today, the average home price in the GTA, brace yourself. You already know it probably. If you've shopped around or if you've bought in the last few years, $1.13 million. That's nearly double what it was. 13 years ago. Now, I can't ask you a question that I don't have an answer to. So here's my number. It's $130,000. And you might say, that's not enough. That sounds like it's too much. That's me. 
$130,000 is doing okay. You make 60, your wife makes 70, you make 80, your girlfriend makes 50. I don't care how you come up to $130,000. And I don't expect you to have the exact same number. But that's baseline for me. When I think about the taxes taken off, when I think about what it would take to grind and save for a down payment, and those of us that grinded it out and saved to buy a home, that's the big factor. The first example I gave was, by the way, the uh, wife making more. And the second example was the husband, the boyfriend making more. We're very egalitarian here. Let's get to Bobby. Bobby, thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead. Wow, Greg, I wish I could make it on your 130K because I'll tell you, you need over 200K, Greg. And the problem is the taxation is out of control. It's out of control. And the more you make, the more you take. And I'm one of those people that are in the so-called 10% on you. The amount of taxes that I get daily is enough to pay a very, very nice wage for someone. And it's very, very hard to get ahead. I don't know how you could say 130K getting ahead when at the end of the day you're currying 80, 90 uh- and you know the cost of rents and the cost of food. Well, I'm it's saying gone. you're I'm saying you're doing okay. You're at the waterline. It make any big mistakes with money, Bobby, and and you'll drown. So you're not. I'm not calling that rich. I'm not calling that uh, upper upper echelon. I'm saying that's almost a baseline. And think about it. There's a lot of jobs. If you go on job boards, and you'll be like, here we're paying fifty eight thousand dollars, sixty two thousand dollars. My instantaneous yeah, you laugh. My instantaneous oh. thought is. That's not a Toronto job. That's not a job that you can afford not to make Toronto, it work on your own Canada. in the GTA. That's not a Canada job, Greg. It's not a Canada. And you know what the sad thing is? 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I used to strive to try and make 100, 120K. I thought that was the golden goose, 120K, you're living a nice life. Not anymore. The taxation is out of control. You could take a flight three hours away into America. Yeah. And and you would have so much more money in your pocket, better health care, less hands in your pocket, more freedoms. We're getting hosed here. Uh, thank you for the phone call, Bobby. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but uh, you, you'd made your point. I'm asking a simple question. What's middle income in the GTA? And remember, this so varies. It's going to vary with seniors. It's going to vary with university students. I, I made no money working a part-time job in university. And I lived with six other people. But I'll put it this way. If I was 22 and I wasn't going to university, if I told you I was living with six people at age 22 and working, you'd be like, uh, what went wrong in 1993? But this kind of stuff's commonplace now. If I came home one summer, which I did because I didn't have a a part-time job and I lived with my parents, I loved living on my own in the summers. I loved being able to live um, inside the city of London, Ontario and not go back because uh, I could see my parents anytime I wanted. But if I didn't have the income coming in, I had to go back. Plain and simple. People will live based on their circumstances, based on their means. And it's harder than ever is the point of the story. And it's the point of our conversation. Felix, thanks for the phone call. 640 Toronto, you go right ahead. Hey, Greg. Uh, I would say I would say anywhere between 65 and 70 dual income. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you can live on one income. $60,000 for a family of four and you would break even. Nowadays, it, it, you can't survive because there are different classes. There is no more such thing as a middle class. You have poor, working poor, paycheck to paycheck and rich. And it seems to be, the divide seems to be becoming greater and greater. 
Well, here's here's like what I'm coming up with. Eighty grand a year. Let's take eighty, Felix. If you live in Ontario, you'll be taxed twenty three thousand two hundred twenty dollars, give or take. That means your net pay is fifty six thousand dollars. That's forty seven hundred a month. I don't know if a family can make it on forty seven hundred a month. It's possible an individual could, but a family can't if that's the only income and you're feeding four, five, six people. Right? You're not gonna. You, right. you can't stay above the waterline. Can't do it. No. But then you have to take into consideration mortgage, car payments, insurance, property tax, food, clothing, yeah. gas. Do you, do, you, do you commute? Do you work from home? All this stuff in, ends up factoring in. Economically, the one thing that I remember somebody quite wise saying to me once was, you can make a lot of mistakes in your 20s and you'll survive, right? You're, you're part-time. You can, and those are personal life things too. Marriage, kids, whatever. Be smart in your 20s. But if you make the mistakes in your 30s, marriage, divorce, kids, and, and things don't work out, wrong real estate investment, um, don't have the right job, haven't moved forward, haven't progressed in your career, it's really hard to get out. It's really hard to get out from under. Tom, I want to get you on before we break here. Thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead. Hi, Greg. I think nowadays for a middle-class family or a middle-class individual, be the annual income would be about 100 to 150 now, a lot of people will say, well, that's a lot of money. You know, that's, that's more than middle income. But I remember back in the 60s, 70s, uh, my dad would tell me a house would be three to four times your annual income. Now it's 10 to 15. Now it's 10 to 15. You nailed it, Tom. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think really a family of four, when you have four, like a, a two kids and your wife and your spouse, if you're making combined income of 200000 a year, you're going to make some progression because a lot of people just look from day to day. And like you said before, if you're smart with your money, you can make a progression. But the way life has gotten so expensive, your kids are getting older. Uh, they cost more. And if you want to educate them, put them through post-secondary, it costs more as well. So I think about a combined income of two to 225 would be considered middle class, given your your children a possibility of advancing in the future. There's a lot. Um, th- yeah, Tom, I got to move. Thanks for uh, thanks for the phone call. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto.